Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Basically, I am your host, Stephanie Preisner. I just want to, at the top of the episode, because some people don't listen to the end of the episode, tell you that we're doing this new thing with BOMA, which is really cool. The bonus material for those of you who subscribe to the podcast and pay five euro a month. We're doing these Zoom hangouts. So once a month, you'll get a link. And then we do this Zoom hangout where you can come in, ask me questions. We have a chat. You know, we just kind of get to know each other in a, in a more intimate way. And it's really lovely. So if you want to become a Headstuff podcast member, you can go to headstuffpodcast.com and sign up. Hello and welcome to Basically. This is the episode that everyone asks me for every week. Can you please have Luke O'Neill back? He's here. He's eating a piece of cake that I got him. And he's going to continue to eat the cake throughout the show because we can't take the man away from his lunch on his lunch break and get him to record a podcast without letting him eat. Luke, what is the good news? Thanks for inviting me. I'm very happy to be here again. We seem to be every couple of months, don't we? We have an update. Yeah. Yeah. It gets better. I hate to say, I'm always the positive guy, but it gets better and better. I I really mean that. But today it feels like it's getting better. I'm getting pictures from my followers on Instagram. Normal people are getting vaccinated. It just feels a little bit, I hate to use the phrase, but it feels like it's ramping up. Well, I felt very happy. Let's put it that way, uh, with the Taoiseach's announcement this week, you know, and the Tarnish did a good job. Let's give them some credit. Yeah. Good, good messaging, which is great to hear, isn't it? You know, but I was over the moon. I think it was on Tuesday night there following the announcement. The main reason I was over the moon was they've said very clearly two vaccinated people can meet. Indoors, there no masks, bonus. no social distancing, nothing. Regular meeting up, and that'd be fantastic. And of course, people in, who are over 70 will all be vaccinated soon. They can just meet up with their friends again, play bridge, you know, watch a movie together in a room, not wearing a mask. They can even hug each other, you know, so isn't that great? Yeah. Now, what that means is we'd all be like that one day, remember? Because once we get the vaccine widely rolled out, we're all in that category. We've all been vaccinated. So that's the future. Now, the question is, how long is it going to take? I suppose it will take a bit of time. But we wanted that that clear statement. The, the CDC in America had yeah. done that about three or four weeks ago. Did you know that we were going to be following suit? Because not everyone in Europe is doing that. Like, this is a big thing for Ireland to be doing. Well, it's the overcautiousness. It's, it's always getting the balance right between too much caution and to give people a bit of hope, you know. So tell me, um, like, let's be, let's dial down the positivity just yeah, for a minute. Yeah. What are the risks involved in two vaccinated people meeting up indoors with no masks. Almost zero. Now, now the reason why we can say that is... Zero risk of death. Of death or getting infected or anything. Oh, anything. 
Well, you're literally back as if the virus isn't here anymore. Now, how can we make that claim? We couldn't have said that two or three months ago. Because actually. you didn't say it two or three months ago. No, because we didn't have the data from Israel, you see. Okay. Now, now, we know in the real world that Pfizer vaccine is the one that we know most about. Performs superbly well. I've never seen the like of it in my life as an immunologist, a vaccine to be so tremendous. And that sounds like... A bit too positive, but but it's yeah. true. I mean, the Israeli data is spectacular, you know. The vaccine is virtually stopping all the deaths and all the hospitalizations from this virus in Israel. So the uh, people who are vaccinated, they can't spread it, they can't yep. get it. Exactly. Yeah. And is this facts now? Or is this it like... This is a fact. Well, the, one in 10 people. The data, let's put it that way so far. Now, now, remember, we knew the vaccine gave you a coat of armour to stop you getting infected. And that meant you're not going to get sick and not going to end up in hospital. We knew that already and we knew it from the trials. What we didn't know was whether you would be completely free of infection. There was a risk you might pick up a bit of virus. It won't make you sick because of the vaccine. Yeah. But it might still be in your nose and you might still spread it. Now... The other great news was there was a big paper in Nature Medicine and the US CDC had very similar data. It's stopping transmission because they took swabs from people's noses who were vaccinated. That's amazing. They couldn't detect any virus. In 90% of them, there was no virus. Uh, the Israeli study said there was a 4.5-fold decrease in the amount of virus. So you could, you could take a tiny bit. Okay. But that small amount wouldn't worry you. You know, Basically, if you're vaccinated, you're fully protected and from severe disease and death, 100%. After two weeks. You've got to wait. Yeah, you, you, that's the data we have. Okay. One shot might be enough, though. We don't know yet. But certainly, the data is on the two shots. And in Ireland, they've been extra cautious. Leave it for 15 days after the second shot, just to be sure, to be sure, which makes sense to some extent, I'd be a bit bullish. I would have said after four or five days probably is enough, you know, to be protected. So that's good. And then secondly, you're not going to infect someone. Which is the kind of guess which the is most great. important thing. Yeah, yeah. And that's an incentive now for young people to get vaccinated. Because now if you're a, if you're a younger person, you're at low risk of disease anyway. But now you're not going to give it to someone else and spread it, you know, if you're vaccinated. So those are two such, such really important uh, developments, I think. This is amazing. You can eat some more of your cake. Another bite. Um, have another bite. Yeah, so we know now that the vaccinated people can meet up. Yep. And uh, can we talk a little bit about, there's a couple of things I want to talk about and we have listener questions. You have given me a gift here of a SARS-CoV-2 antigen rapid test kit. Yeah. Colloidal gold immunochromatography. God bless you, Steph. Great. You're, 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 I'm you're learning all the technical I'm terms. An, I'm amazing. <laughs> I'm basically an immunologist. You are. Now. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, I'll come back to the lab with you. Yeah. So these are antigen tests, yep. which are different to PCR tests. Yep. The antigen, so a PCR test detects what? The RNA. So, so the virus has two main components. It's got three components, actually, right? Yes. The virus has RNA. That's the recipe yeah. to make more copies of itself. Spike right? protein. Exactly, yeah. It's got a lipid. It's got a fatty bag around the RNA, which okay. is, it, it lives inside this tiny bag made of fat because that means it doesn't dissolve in water. And then there's proteins, the spike protein being a good example, studded all around the bag. Oh, like those little crowns. So the little, little crowns. Spikes, yeah. Yep, yeah. That detects the protein. You know, and, and it's easier to detect proteins than so RNA. So this detects the outside layer. It does, yeah. And yeah. a PCR test detects what's the inside, stuff on the, the inside. lipid. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, now it, it's it's the it, to detect proteins is quite straightforward. It takes minutes to detect a protein. Okay. Based on the technical that's colloidal like gold part, you know. That's what they do when, like, you give a urine sample. Yeah, or a pregnancy test. Okay. That's picking up HCG, which is a protein in, in the urine. You know. Okay, great. And you can use antibodies to detect them. Actually, it's, I know it gets a bit confusing, but you're using antibodies to detect the protein. You get 
get a color change, positive or negative, bang. PCR is a more complicated test. It takes longer. You can't just pee on the It takes more reagents, as we call them. And, okay. and that's just, and, but it's very accurate. The, the, the difference is the protein test can be a little bit inaccurate. Why? It's just not quite as sensitive as the PCR test, for example. Inaccurate in that you might get a false positive or a false yeah, negative? both. There's always a risk of false positives and false negatives with okay. protein testing, whereas you never get that with PCR, hardly ever. Like yes. It's a tiny rate. Okay. So that, that was always a concern that the antigen test would be a bit, you know, less so reliable, shall we say. If I have a load of virus in me, yeah. loads of proteins, all those little awful coronaviruses, green little yeah. monsters floating yeah. around in me, the antigen test is the antigen test going to pick up more of them the more that I have? Yeah. The other concern about that test was um, asymptomatic people, right? It right. may give you a negative because there's so little virus in your body and it can't detect it, okay? and that But you're still infectious. So that negative is a false negative of sorts. Okay. Because it hasn't been sensitive enough to pick up that protein, you see? Whereas the PCR is highly sensitive, so that really does. That's the concern. But that's they reckon that's about 5-10% at worst. Okay. So these tests aren't meant to be definitive, but they give you an indication. And the best use of these would be in a school, right? Right. And if every pupil twice a week takes the antigen test, if they're positive, they go home. Okay. It's as simple as that. And even if you only capture 90% of them, it's that's much good. better. That's yeah. great. Yes. Yeah, so, I've been pushing this for months. It's driving us demented, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and Pat Kelly You're this morning. handing them out to people on the street. Well, Pat, Pat Kelly is evangelical well, about that. Well, he said to me this morning, they're about to launch them in Ireland, remember. The government is about to deliver on this because yeah. there was an advisory group that reported to them. And finally, it looks like as if the recommendation would be to use them in the workplace and in schools. And, and that's what we want because these are yet another weapon to use against this virus. And we've been saying it for months. And thankfully, it looks My like... My question is, if someone is, um, so if you do all these COVID antigen tests, so I go to school, my teacher gives me an antigen test, I do it, I'm positive. Does that mean that, like, how do they take that case then? Mm. Does the teacher have to report it to the HSE? Because when they go PCR into labs, it's much more easy to, like, if I'm positive now, I just do this antigen test here. How does that co- go into the numbers and how do we track the virus if we're all just doing our own personal data gathering? Yeah. Well, again, it's a screening test rather than a test. Isn't it? So in the sense, the screening is a bit different to it. Like, remember okay. the HC, the, the, the spike the cancer screening. So, so what, if you're a positive, then you go and get a PCR test. Right, okay. That, that, that'll be so the directive. you can't just decide, oh, I'm... I'm no. positive I'll do my own bits that, that, from here. That's right. Yeah, okay. yeah. So if, if it's followed up with the proper PCR test. But the main thing is to isolate you from the rest of the kids. <laughs> yeah. To stop it spreading. That, that's the purpose of this test, really, is to say stay home, basically. You know? It is sort of maddening, isn't it, when you've been sh- ringing a bell for this many months, being like, please, can we use these? Please, well, can we use these? I can see why they were hesitant, because yeah. there were issues around negatives and positives, and there were dodgy tests on sale for definite. Yeah. Because all the, all the companies are trying to make them and some of them are a bit dodgy. So the EU eventually designated, I think it was 18 tests, so these are good, right? They, they yeah. signed off on them. And then from that moment, we should have immediately brought them in here. But it took a while. Well, they're just, oh, it mightn't work. And it was the same the, with the masks. Same issue there? again. Yeah. And the other thing they worry about here would be uh, doing the test properly. You know, yeah. do you need to be a professional person to do it and all this kind of thing? You it know? does. I've done a few of them and they the antigen tests and you do have to fairly go back your nose like. You do. Yeah. No, they aren't. They aren't. Uh, they are not comfortable. Spit, not like pregnancy tests in a sense, but, but people have, are intelligent enough to do them. You know, I think doing them in schools is a good idea because the teachers, they mightn't want to do it, but they you designate one teacher to be in charge of antigen testing, yeah. pay them a bit more. That's fine, you know, maybe that's the way to do it, you see. So there, there are ways to, I mean, the first people to do them was the hauliers in France. 
Oh, yes. They began yeah. doing it first. And it worked for them. You know, I mean, there's evidence now that it's, it's, it's decreased spread among hauliers, which is great. So, again, that was the first time. And then everybody else should follow on. I'm going to interrupt for a second because I have a, a request from a man called Luke. Could you please get Luke to say hi to my sister Anita and wish her happy birthday? It's in April. Absolutely. Happy birthday, Anita. Yeah, great. <laughs> so I'll just put that at the top of the episode because Luke is giving me a pair of little socks in exchange for that request. Excellent. Right. Um, okay, I'll get to listener questions now. This is from a person whose name begins with E. I am after receiving the first dose of AstraZeneca. I'm currently trying to get pregnant. If I fall pregnant before I receive the second vaccine, will this affect my baby? I know there hasn't been studies on pregnant women, so it's probably a difficult question to answer. Oh, no, there are now. I mean, we know more about this. Even before we had the data, it's safe for pregnant women, for definite. There are literally tens of thousands of women now, frontline workers who've been vaccinated, who have been pregnant or have since gotten pregnant. And there are absolutely no... That's right. And we we knew from previous vaccines, they never harm pregnant women vaccines as a general principle. Now, they are new, so you're not 100% sure of that. They would do tests in animals. I know it's not great, but they have to test things in animals sometimes. No effect on pregnancy or... Anything like that, you know, they don't modify the DNA. So, well, that was great. And no, and the the more important p- fact is, though, if you're pregnant, you're at higher risk. And we also knew about COVID, catching placent- COVID. and placentitis. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But the data is very clear. If you're pregnant, you're in a vulnerable group now. If you get infected, you could have a very difficult disease, right, and get really sick, end up in hospital, and that can have all kinds of negative consequences. And secondly, it's, it speeds up preterm birth. That's a definite as well. Right. So women who are, are, are saying the third trimester, mm-hmm. it can bring on labor. And you don't want that either, you know, because that can be too early. So, so all the signs are there. Oh, yeah. So all, all, the, all the learned body, should we call them, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, clear statement. And if anybody is anxious, just go on their website is brilliant it's like women for crying out loud you know take the vaccine and then for women who can't but women are not officially in a vulnerable group according to the HSE so you still have to get vaccinated now based on your age yeah so just be careful of COVID if you are pregnant exactly and that's a good question should they redesignate pregnant women as oh Jesus Luke don't start bringing up (laughs) redesignating (laughs) the idea well Stephanie they can find the pregnant women it's easy because you can spot them them. (laughs) maybe that'll help the process (laughs) drag them into a van and jab them that's right Um, this is from a a listener who his name begins with C. Could you please ask Luke, how long does it usually take, take for a sense of taste and smell to come back? I lost mine January 7th, 2021, and I can only taste basic sweet, sour and salt, but they don't work together and they, I can only smell slightly. If things are placed right under my nostril, I'm 23 and I'm worried. It varies between us all. So everything to do with COVID is a bit like everything else in life. There's a huge variation between humans because our immune systems are slightly different and our medical history is different as well. So sadly, that person has been badly hit by this symptom and it just goes on for longer. You know, for most people, that lack of sense of smell and taste lasts about two or three weeks. But it's on average, but then there's going to be some people, sadly, who have a more severe course through that. The good, the good news is these things do resolve. The so evidence it's not now going is going to be gone forever. Unlikely, it should come back slowly. You know, it might take a bit longer than that. I person. heard that the reason that it's gone is because probably in your situation, the the bacteria or the the virus got in through your nose and basically killed off all those cells yep. while they were making their way into you, and well, it's just taking time for your body to. 
Exactly. To, build to repair. Yeah, it's all about, again. It's all about repair. And like long COVID, that, that's kind of part of long COVID because people might have that symptom for, for weeks and weeks and weeks. It's simply because you've got scarring going on and the tissue has to remodel and get back to normal, you know. And, yeah. And sadly, in some people, it's more severe than others, I guess. I mean, the other option is it might infect the neurons in your nose that are relaying the sense of smell signal and they get damaged. Okay. But again, the good news is it should, it should come back. It should come back, but it's going to take time, like yep. growing out a bruise in your nail. Um, anonymous, could you please ask Luke what he would... Vi- oh God, I have so many of these questions for you. Could you please ask Luke what he would visualise for weddings in summer 2022? We have booked for July 21, but with international travel off the cards and slow vaccinations, we might postpone. Well, shall we announce our big secret? There is the Prize O'Neill Wedding Agency. We're going to start organising we, weddings now. The Prize <laughs> O'Neill Wedding <laughs> Agency. Yeah. We can give you the best wedding on record. <laughs> My wedding is in July. <laughs> is um, it? How are you getting ready? Yeah. Lord? Now, how many guests are you going to invite? Then? I am inviting six people. <laughs> but that's just, that suits me anyway. But for people yeah. who wanted the big wedding. Um, it's a bit tricky. I think summer 20 2022. Oh, for definite. The issue though is that what we can't, we're not fortune tellers, so we can't say that another strain or something isn't going to pop up. But if things continue, yeah. There's as a, they are now. There's a strong likelihood that when we get to this time next year, we'll be 95% the way we used to be, that kind of number, right? Yeah. Now, now again, as you say, there's, there's those unknowns, the dreaded unknowns are there, but I'd be optimistic about that. And then what will we have you talk about? Well, let's talk about <laughs> SARS-CoV-3, which is coming no, oh to Jesus you. Christ. Coming to a, to, coming coming to to a, a cinema near a you. Cinema you in, in, in January 20. No, that's right. Well, I, people, I'll be happy to crawl under a rock. So just I can't wait to not be listening away. to you. Exactly. My father is 68 years of age with underlying heart conditions blood pressure and a bypass he has been cocooning all along can you please advise on a date and timeline for when he will be vaccinated sorry okay Um, that's not really a question for Luke or for me but it Based on the new rollout, yeah, yeah. he should be in the next couple of weeks because exactly. now they're doing it by age. Age, yep, yeah. Now he'll be lined up now, which is fantastic because it simplifies the age thing, by the way. So we can all expect to get vaccinated based on our age in the coming months. But in fact, by June, remember, everybody. And particularly if they have underlying conditions, it's a con- it's a chat with the GP. Exa- like, exactly. Where yeah, am I on the list? Yeah, yeah, precisely. Hi, Luke and Stephanie. With so many phar- pharmaceutical companies in Ireland, including Pfizer, why aren't we making the COVID vaccine ourselves? This vaccine is far more important than our production of Viagra and Botox. Yes, indeed. Well, that's something that I was saying as well a couple of months ago. If you want to reconfigure a factory to make something else, that can take a long time because all the regulatory business and making sure the machines are in the right way. Right, it's not just a case of changing the ingredients. It probably takes six months, actually, to, to get a factory written. What happens is, if you want to make a vaccine, the EMA goes into that factory and make sure everything is in order for good reason because right, okay. make sure, but, and it just takes time. So I guess uh, we have an image in our head that like I have a factory and I'm bottling soap yeah. and now we need people to bottle fabric softener. Exactly. Why can't I just switch? But actually yeah, it's, it's not a quite lack a of education yeah. on what yeah. goes into it. Well, I'll give you one example which people are always amazed by. The AstraZeneca vaccine has 235 components in it. <laughs> Ingredients like... Yep. Yeah, separate ingredients. They've all got to come into your factory, get assembled, and each one of them has to be validated as being pure and all that kind of thing. And sure, then this thing of GMP, you know. That, that's the most co- complex of the vaccines, actually, in terms of ingredients. So it's not as simple as it seems. We'll come back to them because they've been causing ruckus. Um, another question from Leanne for the Prisoner O'Neill Wedding Association. Yes. Um, could you ask Luke about weddings in December? What would he predict being able to attend? And what is his prediction on travelling in August if willing to do two weeks quarantine on return? Yep. Well, the wedding thing, I would say, that I know we are experts on weddings, aren't yeah. we? Um, <laughs> Outdoors <laughs> now in December, it's going to be tough. But if I was getting married in the summer, 
I'd have a big tent. All the sides up, you know. Yeah. Beautiful tables and everything laid out there. Hopefully it's a warm summer's day, nice breeze, little band in the corner, you know. You paint a beautiful image, well, but like, that's yeah. what you would do. What do you think government will allow um, is well, a different question. Well, no more than anything else, there's weddings and funerals. <laughs> yes. and they've Four weddings and a funeral. They're going to allow 25 people at funerals, right? Yeah. And that'll be the same at wedding. We'll see the numbers permitted to go to weddings increasing in the coming months. And it wouldn't surprise me by... July time, you might have 50 people might be allowed. Right. And again, probably a safe setting, like outdoors or well-ventilated room and those kinds of things. You know? So that, that's, that's a reasonable prospect, I bet you, that we'll see more people being allowed. And by December then, obviously, she probably can't be outdoors. Yeah. So indoors, I'd say. But you see, Michal Martin, cautious and conservative, as he says. I wouldn't be surprised if they don't go hell for leather. Yeah. Even though they might be able to. I don't know. I think the, the next, fe- the, the only worries we have now, do you want to hear what the worries are? <laughs> do. So one is that the supply will be messed up with the vaccine. That seems unlikely. Because but that's the reason. No, how is it unlikely? AstraZeneca every week are like, nah, not I today. I know. Well, there's four suppliers now. Remember Johnson & Johnson, they're, they're about to deliver 200 million doses to the EU in about three weeks, we think. How many we, we'll get will we get? Two million. We get 1.1%. So that's why they're projecting in April we'd have a million doses available. In May, probably two million in Ireland. Fantastic, you know? Yeah. And then by June, 80% are vaccinated. Now, you never know, maybe two companies go down and that threatens that supply. The second concern are these dreaded variants, if they get more troublesome. And do you think that the the variants, can we talk a bit about which variants are there now Mm. and how you think hotel quarantine is fighting against them? Yep, there's three variants. Yeah. In total, there's the Brazilian, so South African and the UK. Sorry, one second. My understanding is that there are more than three variants, but some of them are, va- um, what are they called? Variants v- of concern, variants VOCs. Of concerns and variants of interest. interest. Yeah, there's VOIs and VOCs in the jargon, like everything. So there are three VOCs. There are three VOCs, yeah. And there's about 50 VOIs. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Which they're watching closely, you know. Let's go with the VOCs. B117, which yep. is the British one, which we hate. That's right, yes. It's much more transmissible. <laughs> It's very <laughs> contagious and it's basically a whole new virus. It is not as bad as the other two. So, so if, oh you, if you were to rank them, the British one isn't as bad because it doesn't, it doesn't really uh, dodge the vaccine. Okay? You, you've okay. Got, you've got two concerns in the, in the concern word. One is that the virus will dodge the vaccine, which means you've got to revaccinate everybody with the new one. Uh, the second one is that uh, it's more transmissible so you can catch it more. And the UK one is more transmissible. Okay. So what that means is if I, if I was carrying the old-fashioned one, I might infect two people in a room. Now I'm infecting three. Okay. And that means it spreads more. So that's your first question. But as more people are vaccinated, we put up a barrier to that. Indeed we do. Yeah. And the second worry about transmission is the reason why it's more transmissible is they've got great detail on this. So so the spike has changed okay. randomly. And then through natural selection, it starts to dominate. It's a random process. That spike now is stickier to your lungs. Okay. okay. Now what that means is less virus might infect you because it latches on more. But if you get a big dose of virus, you're in trouble because now it really gets into your lungs because it's so sticky. Okay. And you might have some more severe illness with, with the UK one. And there is evidence for that. So the virus itself hasn't got any new weapons to fire at you. They're just it's just stickier. So it gets stickier. in more. Now the good news is the vaccines work against that. So we're less worried about that one now. Because, okay. And secondly, remember all the distancing and mask wearing prevents them all oh. from spreading okay. because they're all still in the aerosol. You see? Now the other two the South African one and the Brazilian one. Do they, they have airplane names as well? Like a letter and numbers? <laughs> sure, I shouldn't think so. Yeah. Boeing 747. The names are atrocious. Yeah. B117. I mean, cry, for crying out loud, it's very hard, isn't it? And the Brazilian is P1. It's a bit simpler than the other one. But they can dodge antibodies. 
So the spike has changed slightly. And now the old-fashioned one has a different spike, and you have antibodies to that. The new one, it's a slightly so it's different spike. It's literally a new virus, kind it's, of. It's almost like a new virus, yeah. So that's it. Now, the good news there is the vaccines will still work against them. Yes. Just slightly less efficacious, which means you might get a bit sick, but it won't progress into severe disease with the new variants and if where, you're taking the old-fashioned vaccine. Where are P1 variants? Where is it Where is it now? All, well, it's in Ireland. I mean, there were seven cases. Yes, but P1. where is it kind of rampant? Well, it began in Brazil. That, that's what's caused devastation in Brazil. Okay. And, and the other concern about that one is it can reinfect you maybe. So if you've had the previous one, right, the old-fashioned Chinese one. Yeah. And you got protection from that. This P1 can now re-infect can reinfect. You. And the reason there is because a natural immune response isn't as strong as a vaccine response. You know what I mean? So the vaccine okay. really kicks up the thing. Does that mean that people who have had the normal Chinese virus will still need to be vaccinated? Definitely. But they're not yeah. a priority. That's true, but but definitely because we're recommending everybody to get vaccinated anyway, just okay. in case, you see, to have full coverage, you see, as well as protecting them. It's a sensible thing to do, you see. So that's, that's the other message. There. And what's the third VOC? The third is the South African one, and that's a bit like the Brazilian one. It's got this antibody dodging trait as well. Okay. So they're quite similar, those two. Now, there are differences between them, and we don't fully know what those differences might mean. It's still being studied, you know. And you know the way there's a fourth wave happening in Europe now? Yep. Do we see that? There's a particular variant. Yeah. What, what's... That's the B117, the UK okay. one. That's in Ireland, I think 90% of cases now are that UK Amazing. variant. And it's similar across Europe. And because it's more transmissible, it's spreading more, you know, so you see more cases. But our on. lockdown is kind of preventing the fourth wave here. That's exactly right, because again, that stops the spread of the virus. That's great. I want to talk to you about another podcast that's on our network. This one is called Fail Harder. And Emma Jane Purcell is the host and she talks to guests who are at the top of their game, succeeding in whatever industry or career or path that they're in. And she talks to them about failure, from their first failure to their relationship to failure, how failure has impacted their lives. It's fascinating. It's really well put together. I think you're going to love it. Check it out. Hello, I'm Emma Jane from Fail Harder, the podcast that chats to people at the top of their game about failure, from their first memory of failure to how they cope with it now. I have some unbelievable guests on the show like Paul Meskel, James Cavanagh, Georgina Campbell, the list just goes on. And of course, we'd be mad to take failure too seriously, so every week I have 20 questions in front of me numbered at random. Most are straightforward, however, some are a little more unconventional, and in the spirit of failure, my guest can pick the numbers. They might not like the results, but life's not fair and neither is my podcast. Uh, Niamh, do you see the vaccination programme changing the travel restrictions? For example, would vaccinated people be able to travel with less restrictions? I'm in the UK and I would love to be able to get home to see my family in the summer, but the restrictions make it very difficult. I would like to be vaccinated by the summer. Yep, that's the plan. And the EU is issuing the vaccine certificates. That's for definite. So we're all going to have a little certificate. What will that certificate give you the right to do? It's to travel. That's one of the reasons for this. Because they want people to tourism to come back, you see. Okay. So you'll have your certificate. You'll go to the, here's the protocol, right? You'll go to the airport. You'll do an antigen test probably at the airport. 
you will then show your vaccine certificate and then get your boarding pass. And then you fly to between the UK and Ireland. Yeah. Uh, when you arrive, you'll probably do a second test. There's a good chance of that. And that's now that's negative as well. And then you're free to go. You're free to join your family and you your land, friends. Once you land and you have a positive test. Well, that's the next question. You got, you you'll go to the hotel, I suppose. Or but I think between the UK and Ireland at the moment, there is, well, when you arrive in Ireland, you have to, not from the UK, do you have to go to a hotel, but no. you have to quarantine at home for five days and then get a PCR that's test. That's right, it'll be similar. Yeah. That, that'll be it. And there'll probably, probably be an antigen test instead of a PCR test, potentially. Well, that'd be ideal. Because it's more straightforward, you see. So that's the likely scenario there. Um, anonymous question. These are I have two more anonymous questions and they both kind of start with, I hate to be on the wedding bandwagon. So, <laughs> Prisoner O'Neill Weddings uh, yes. <laughs> Limited. Um, I know there are questions similar to this in your last podcast with Luke, but this will be my fourth time rescheduling our wedding and I would love Luke's opinion. We haven't we haven't officially moved the date, but does he think we will be safe with a 300 plus wedding in April next year? We're unsure whether to just leave it off until 2023 and take our chances um, with 2022 as a small wedding just is not an option for us. That's a lot of people. That's yeah. the concern there. You know, That's I'd be a concert. slightly cautious with that one because mm-hmm. of this unknown. The, the big unknown is will it come back in the winter? Okay. And will we see another spike? And that's unlikely because of the vaccination campaign. It's at a risk of it. And it might happen because of a new variant getting its foothold right. in. And then we see more illness. We mightn't see as much death, but you might see more hospitalizations. And the question is, how will governments respond to that? They might get frightened again, you see, and introduce more restrictions, you okay. see. It depends on if you're a gambling person. You might be tempted to, to go for it because there's, a, there's a somewhat of a chance of a 300-person wedding. But I'd be more cautious there. I'd probably, 100 people, that kind of number, you know. So for 300 um, people, you'd probably push it to 23. I think so. Yeah. If you want to have a big, if, that's what I say, if you definitely want to have a mega wedding with, with yeah. the biggest crowd ever, I'd, I'd be more, late 2022 anyway, you know, that kind yeah. of Yeah. And sorry, just coming back to that before I go to the last question. Um, do you think, is there any studies that say like, we, this is going to have to be an annual vaccination? I guess it, is we don't really have the data. It hasn't been around long enough yet, has it? It's reasonable to assume there'll be boosters every winter. And um, one scenario that's being discussed now, for example, is this. So every winter we get the flu vaccine. It'll be added to that vaccine. You know what I mean? In other okay. words, you, that, the flu vaccine, by the way, has three or four variants in it anyway. Yeah. People don't realise this. There's different variants in flu every winter. The average flu vaccine has three variants in it in a single shot. Add in COVID into that because then it's simple, isn't it? And it's just the older people and the vulnerable, you see. It's not everybody. Yes, yeah, so everybody doesn't need a booster, but the no. people who are likely to... The only I reason have to get the flu vaccine every year because I've got asthma and I yeah. have really bad chest infections. So would that make me in a vulnerable group? Absolutely. But I suspect they'll, what they'll do is, that, like Sanofi are a good example. They make the flu vaccine. They're the biggest vaccine maker in the world. Yeah. They failed in their vaccination attempt against COVID because they had the wrong dose. Isn't that amazing in their trial? What do you mean? Well, they tried too low. They were very cautious. You know, they, they, they had the spike. Okay. They gave too little, it looks like, in the trial. They got a bit of an immune response, but it wasn't strong enough. Oh, wow. That really annoyed them because they are the number one company and their ego was bruised. Um, they're back up on the horse. All right. <laughs> They've got two vaccines. They'll be ready by the autumn, they will add that to their flu vaccine. Watch, and then you, oh, when handy. you go for your flu vaccine, you'll have a COVID shot in there in the mix as well. You see. Um, before I go to the wedding question, can we talk about the re- um, the the reactions that people are having to the vaccine? Do we, one? Can we talk about the AstraZeneca blood clots issue? Yep. Then can we talk about the political response to that, which was severe? And then two, what can we expect? from because I'm hearing that like with one of the vaccines the first dose gives you a bit of a kick and with the another one the second one does yeah well the blood clotting one that was a terrible shame 
it was unfortunate, of course it was. They saw these people, young women actually, were inclined to be in the group of having severe clotting problems, yeah. which is unusual. Although, mind you, the contraceptive pill increases risk of clotting, so they're wondering, was that something to do with this? They don't quite know why women okay. were especially... But the fact is, some women and men were affected by clotting. A few people died in Germany and Norway and so on. Now, appropriately, that gets reported. It's examined extremely carefully, extremely cautiously, and everybody says this is okay. It's very few people out of 20 million. They're so more. they're not saying this didn't happen. They're saying, look, this did happen. Yeah. But whenever you're vaccinating an entire planet, there are going to be 1%. Yeah. And we're going to hear those awful stories, but it's for the greater good. That's right. Yeah, And I'll give you the, the numbers now. We know them. Okay. I mean, it's something like you've got a 1 in 160,000 chance of getting a clot, which is almost zero. People right. have trouble understanding risk, right? If you go on a flight, Stephanie, to America, on a long haul flight, you have a 1 in 6,000 chance of getting a clot. Oh, right, okay. So it's <laughs> Which is extremely small. That doesn't stop you flying, does it? No. This is a hun- one in 150,000 chance. So, so it was always amazing to me that countries suspended the virus, because, the vaccine, because the evidence was, it was extremely rare. I mean, at worst, it is being caused by the vaccine. There's a set of chance of that, you see. But it's extremely rare. It's, it's almost like negligible risk of it. I think it's just that people would, people are uncomfortable with someone dying and governments being like, yeah, well, we're going to lose a few people to this. Yeah, we don't want that. have to be seen, at least to be empathetic enough to be like, we're going to pause Oh, no, there's no question the EMA said, let's look at this now. But they didn't say pause because they knew the risk-benefit analysis said keep vaccinating because there's a burning virus in Europe killing people here, you know? And is that why some countries then decided themselves, we're just going to pause? Someone paused this week and it was... Well, they're still pausing. I mean, it's Germany and Norway and Scandinavia are saying nobody, I think it's under 60s, can't have the AstraZeneca vaccine, you see. Now, the reason why they can, they have the luxury is they can give them the Pfizer vaccine. They aren't putting people at risk by stopping that vaccine because there's another option there. You know, that seems, that could be said to be reasonable in a way, you know, because you're not putting, see, the thing about this is if, if you pause the vaccine and that might cause harm, you shouldn't be pausing the vaccine. Yes. And that was my beef. And is AstraZeneca the one that we have the most of? We don't, I don't, that's a good question. I'm not sure. We plenty of Pfizer are still being used widely around the moment in Ireland. Yes. I think there are lots of people. But they are rolling out AstraZeneca slowly and we will have lots of AstraZeneca and everybody should take it. The, the risk of this is so tiny as to be nothing to worry about. And even yesterday, uh, Emer Cook, our great Irish connection in the yeah. EMA, yet again on record, everybody should use this vaccine. Now, why would governments ignore the EMA? Is the next question you see? Because these are very reputable, competent well, people. Well, that's politics, and people. That's what it is. It's, it's, it's a, also massive cautiousness. Yeah, because there is a risk. That's, that's, that's the thing. Let's like, be honest if, about if it. If we know? give AstraZeneca here, which we are doing, one in one hundred and sixty thousand oh. people is probably going to get a clot. Hmm. So we might hear of someone yep. getting a clot from this. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that the one hundred and fifty nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine people. Yeah. And it's going to be so unfortunate. And it's very, going to be it's a terrible human, shame. Of course yeah. it is. You know, but it's all statistical. There's, people have trouble with statistics at the best times. Don't well, yeah, they, you because know? it comes down to like you well, hear the story hard. of the family and someone's on Ireland AM talking yeah. about, and it's in your dead. mind, and you're terrified. Yeah. And the chance of that happening to you is, is almost zero. You know, but it's understandable. You would have you would have caution and hesitation there. Now, remember, they don't know the vaccine's causing those clots. Still, that's oh, a, that's right, an open okay. question. It might they, it might be. But they there's so few. Sure it's not. They can't say it's not for definite. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. the way to put it, I suppose. But they can't say it is either. So yeah. they're still saying we don't know, you know. So it's a strange development. It's unfortunate, isn't it? I mean, uh, the, there's a virus rampant all over Europe, killing people in spades. We've got a very effective vaccine and we pause it. 
I mean, to me, it was outrageous. It was a bit outrageous, know. yeah. And then what got me as well, Stephanie, it really annoyed me at the time, was um, the EMA said keep using it. Yeah. The WHO said keep using it. And the International College of Thrombosis and Hemostasis, the world's governing body for the coagulation experts, said keep using it. The Irish government says, no, nah, hang on. We, 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 we'll make our own mind up. <laughs> you know, we'll but follow. I think people have to understand that like, the Irish government are made up of people who are elected by the public, who are people who knock on doors and ask for a job. Yeah. And sometimes politics comes into it because they know at some point I'm going to have to knock on doors and ask for a job again. So public pressure is a huge thing. And that's yeah. why, and I say this in the political episodes of the podcast, if you make enough noise about an issue, yeah, you get somewhere. You will get yeah. somewhere because politics is about politicians. Yeah trying to keep favour with the public. Pork barrel, is that the phrase? That kind of yeah. But no, it wasn't the public, it was Nyack said to pause it. That sort of set me, you know. But the national, Nyack is the National Immunisation Advisory Committee. committee. Yeah, yeah, but that's yeah, also yeah. made up of It is, but, but now mind you, I don't, doc, doctors, we want them to be cautious. No, we want the, the, doctors are, the doctors don't do harm, do they, you know? No. And, I, and I guess that was in their mind. There's evidence of harm in young people who are at low risk of the vi- virus, remember. So you're, yeah. you're giving someone a vaccine who doesn't really need it okay. and you're causing harm. So I understand it. I can see why they say, oh, hang on. But I would have gone with the data. If you're not following science, what are you following? A gut feeling? You know? But you're following Twitter. You know? Yeah, we're following Twitter, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Even so. worse. Yeah, but you know what I mean? So, but anyway, we're, th- we're through that now in Ireland. And, 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 but it's strange, the Germans. But it's only because they have other vaccines. Yeah, they don't have... They don't the, have to worry about AstraZeneca. And as politics must be part of it as well. I also felt, and maybe this is... I think that because the AstraZeneca vaccine is the Oxford... It's the British vaccine, let's say that because of, and maybe I'm being cynical, right, but because of Brexit and because of the UK being like, screw you, Europe, we're gone, that Europe may have had a little bit of a smile on its face to be like, oh, your vaccine looks like it's causing problems. Mm. We're going to pause it. We're going to like reduce belief in... Are you saying they're petty-minded people? (laughs) Well, I just say that like, if Great Britain was a big ally to Europe, they might have been slower to undermine, you know, confidence no, no, nobody's covered themselves in glory on this one. <laughs> and like, remember the European Union was going to stop exports of things? That's yeah. just a stupid thing to suggest because of all these ingredients. If there was a trade war, you couldn't make the Pfizer vaccine because some of the supply chain was coming out of Europe, Europe. to make that vaccine. So it's just, it's just kind of a bit stupid. In the way, yeah. you know? And I, there's definitely a balance to be had of like, letting scientists run the country yeah. which sometimes yeah. is feels it can be and then it's other times like oh god can we please just deal in facts here and stop but, getting but, but, so petty it's not so much scientists it's not here, I hate to, I'm getting becoming like a broken record uh, look at the data <laughs> follow the data because what else have you got the, the, the power of science is it gives you comfort remember like smoking causes cancer here's the data you can choose to keep smoking if you wish this kind of thing you yes. know? but the data is screaming in, in the direction of this and yet they, they didn't take it on board but that's what I always say about knowledge and information they have the information but they don't have the knowledge yeah. and the knowledge is where information meets emotion and if emotion is stronger than information they're just yeah. they can't, they're not used to following science exactly yeah. um, final anonymous question yeah, sorry, Alan. So, Modern, I'm just going to say these as you record them. Moderna has 30,000 vaccine doses here. AstraZeneca has 175,000. So maybe one person has got a clot yeah. already. 
and over 600,000 so are one. Pfizer. Yeah. But remember, it's so rare. It's very hard to say who's going to get a shot. Like there was seven in one part of the world and none in another part. But I'm know. sure, like vaccines aside, people are getting clots every day. I mean, we're it's sitting very around our house. It's very common. Day. It's yeah, quite that's common. right. Yeah, exactly. Um, final question from Anonymous. Put on your uh, fascinator there, Luke. We're going back to wedding questions. Great. Love I the am, wedding questions. As you know, I can't get enough of them. <laughs> I am due to get married in November 2021. I really want a minimum of 100 people there and to dance until after 11pm. What's the likelihood of this happening? Both 100 people being there and the bar being allowed to stay open past 11pm curfew. The venue I've booked only has availability for February next year, which is only three months later. And it seems silly to postpone for just three months or else it'll be like 2023. But I'm getting older and I'm eager to get on with my life. I wait my whole life to get married and I desperately want the day that I've always wanted am I being silly and thinking I can get what I want by November 2021 let's put it this way it's much more likely to happen in February yeah. with that number and have a great old fashioned wedding when the uncle gets up and sings the song and people are dancing and that's more likely to happen in February there's a chance it might happen ahead of that but, but given say, the unknowns like you said I, I, there about the winter spike yeah, that's the fear do you think a winter spike would be more likely to impact November or February, because like the winter spike here happened at Christmas and we're still in lockdown, yeah. whereas November was actually quite open. I, I reckon okay. that, well, let's start with there probably will be some kind of a spike. Okay. I think there's a, there's a good chance because it's an indoor virus. It loves spreading indoors. But even if we're we all, all vaccinated. Know, there'll be a low level. People get the flu okay. every winter, remember, you know. So other infectious diseases in but spite if, of vaccines happen in the winter. If we're all vaccinated, how is it possible that there will be a spike though? Is that, it that? That, that's the question. If everybody gets vaccinated, how okay. many, the, 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 remember, a certain, I hate to say, tell you this, that a certain percent of people don't respond to a vaccine. So Sorry, it, what? Go back to that? As in it won't work for them? Yeah, it works weekly, you know, and if you get a massive dose, you might get an infection. Now, remember what that means. Look at the hospital beds is the idea. Okay. If they go up in November, December from COVID-19, can you imagine that will strike fear into any government? And they'd immediately get a bit panicky, right? Now, by the time you get to February, that'll all be controlled and they'll probably have overreacted, you know? Okay. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? So in other words, and they're like, oh, look, we overdid it there, but it's okay again. And then you can have a wedding of 100 people in February, that kind of thing. So, so, so that, that's what I'm, I'm thinking. Happen. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking if I was to say 50 people, honest to God now, it is numbers. Mm-hmm. I'd say a 50-person wedding is very feasible in the autumn, indoors with regular things, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's always a numbers game, you see. So, so 100's leaning towards slightly too many. But again, these are unknowns. It's very hard to give a definitive answer, to be honest. You know? um, so tell me this. You you predicted that uh, we'd be having beer garden beers in June. Yep. How do you think about that? Stick into that. <laughs> stick into oh, that. God, yeah. yeah. Well, if we're not, there's something gone badly wrong. Okay. Because if you think about it for a minute, when we get to the end of May, mm-hmm. based on what we know and based on Israel mainly, and based on the level of vaccination by then, this country would have nobody in hospital from COVID-19, have very small numbers in hospital, okay. very small numbers in the ICU, and there'd be nobody who would have died from it in about a month, right? Okay. Now, in that situation, you've got to say, right, let's begin to open up stuff that's safe. And it's all about uh, harm reduction is the great, we're moving to that phrase now. So instead of saying don't do something, I mean, the great analogy I've given recently is when the HIV pandemic broke in America and they figured out the science was there was blood born. Remember, science was revealing where do you catch that one? Blood products. So anything involved blood exchange had to be controlled very carefully, blood transfusions, but equally safe sexual practices were seen as a risk. Yeah. The first thing was abstinence. That lasted about a month. Right? Well, in fairness, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, but just people say, oh, I'm not gonna. after a month, that began to go. So what did they, they moved to harm reduction, wear a condom, safe sex, because they realised people aren't going to go along with this. So in other words, when we get to June, we need harm reduction events. Yes. We know a beer garden with good spacing between the tables and probably a limited amount of time 
is a safe thing to do. Now, if you're there for four hours, you might well be getting jarred and putting your arms around each other. Yeah. So there may be a time constraint, but certainly we should be able to do things like that safely, you know. Anything else in the science that we need to know from this week? From this week, what else is the big news? Well, there's no doubt the greatest news was the stop and transmission of the virus. And yep. then secondly, children responding to the vaccine, which is brilliant. Tw- yeah, what's that, 12-year-olds? 12 to 15-year-olds. Yeah, that was Pfizer. Now, why, why is that important to get to herd immunity? You know, 20% of the Irish people are under the age of 18. So to get to 80% herd immunity, we need to vaccinate, we need kids. To vaccinate kids as well. So that's great news. Now, again, we'll watch it because we've got to be careful with children. There's more trials running. Pfizer have said... Their data is so great. They're applying to the US administration now to allow the vaccine to be used in children from September before they go back to school. Wouldn't that be tremendous? So you can imagine in September, we vaccinate all the schoolgoers, we vaccinate all the teachers, 100% safety in schools. And now we kick off in the autumn That'll with a regular great. school Little again. That, that's the goal. That's you know. so important. And, that, and that, 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 what I've just said there is extremely likely and feasible unless these little bumps in the road, which always come along in life, as you know, there will be bumps in the road. <laughs> what do you see? Okay, so last question. What do you see as the most likely bumps in the road? Yeah, I see cases not going down low enough because they're at 500 a day at the moment, right? Yeah. Now, that, that, that'll that be a concern. If that got to 1,000 a day in the next four weeks, that's going to make people anxious and restrictions will be in place. But but the roadmap is there. And the, the, the Taoiseach has laid out the roadmap for us. Hairdressers will open in two months, he said, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, which is great, isn't it? That's amazing. Well, I, mean, so, I definitely need one. So, so where the bump in the road? Yeah, I guess if we can't get that con- case numbers down for whatever reason, it could be a more transmissible virus. The vaccination campaign is too slow. But yeah. that's why they've gone for the age. The, the main reason to go for the age-driven uh, uh, sort of priority list is speed. Yeah, it's quicker speed. into your arm. That's the, it's pragmatic. It doesn't say very much about our electronic healthcare system because no, it doesn't. But still, that's the and way I understand people's frustration. But like, there is a high chance that if you are, and I know teachers and guards are saying like we should be higher up the list, and you know we can talk about that. But there is a chance that if we go by age, you'll actually get it quicker than yeah. if we start trying to identify who's yeah. a guard and who's a teacher and where do they live and, and who's and their we, GP. We've revisited the statistics on this. So if, if you're in your 50s and versus someone in their 30s, you have a six-fold increased risk of dying just by being in your 50s. Wow, okay. So why would you vaccinate a 30-year-old You know, <laughs> and yeah. not a 50-year-old? I guess the argument is that the 30-year-old is sitting with... 30, 18 year olds yeah. all day. No, but the only reason is to stop to stop spread. It's not to yeah. protect that person because they're very healthy anyway. You right, know? okay. So it's more it, to stop survive. it spreading. That, that's why I would vaccinate the 30 year old to stop spread of the virus. And I can see that case, by the way. I mean, I'd love to vaccinate the teachers yeah. tomorrow if I could, you know. But I guess to me, it's just as a pragmatic thing in the there end. There has to be know? a line drawn and it's all, it's not going to, everyone's not going to. Although the question is, if, what do you think? Would the teacher lobby now get the vaccine? In? You know what I mean? They may reverse this. So, yeah, well, <laughs> this is the question of politics, you yeah, know? Like, these right. people have to be like, I need to get re-elected. Yeah. Are these teachers enough to, are they going to shout loud it enough? It wouldn't surprise me, but they will be vaccinated. Yeah. I'm also predicting that, like, as things get a bit, as this ra- vaccine rollout ramps up, you always know when things are getting a little bit better, when yeah. you hear the Vintners Association back out being like we want to open up they've been quiet for the last few months knowing that like this is not a possibility so, so in, your, in your opinion who, who are the people who are the most effective lobbyists is it the undertakers no <laughs> I'm telling you the best getting... lobbyists the, the strongest uh, unions I think are the teachers the union yep. the ACI NTO and the Nurses and Midwives Association yep. whose president is Phil Hay, and you know she's great very effective and yeah. you know they have very strong trade unions and then on the other hand you have you know 
actors who have yeah nobody to speak for them group. yeah they're they always don't. getting shafted they're aren't getting they shafted. Yeah. anyone in the arts i know yeah, yeah exactly um, so now we should speak up for the artists shouldn't we we should and isn't it a great prospect that gigs will come back oh i'd love to be in a theater yeah i know and, I'm, and i've no doubt now that we'll come back well i um, actually have uh th- i have booked theater space for rehearsal of a new show that i'm writing great in august yep. Yep. so i'm hoping Brilliant. well actually i will be able to do that because it's just me and the stages and the venue yep. is closed but it will be great to be able to do an in live show i th- i think that's a realistic prospect i'll tell you that much and by the way we do have sympathy for the teachers don't we stephanie <laughs> well, i do have sympathy for teachers anyone who's tried to homeschool in the last few yeah, months knows how hard they work but i uh, know and then they want to get the schools open i mean the, the worst thing in the world by the way not not quite but if they shut the schools in april or may people are goose that's desperate. You know? But I think as well, it's frustrating for teachers because they keep saying like, schools are safe places, schools are safe places. But it's not acknowledging like, they feel very dangerous yeah. because everything we're telling you is don't congregate, don't be in groups. And then we're putting you into a congregated setting and yeah. telling you that it's safe. And it feels a little bit like gaslighting. Yeah. But I think yeah, what they does. mean is like, yeah. statistically, and this is going back to the data, and it it feels unempathetic and it feels like they're not listening to people on a human level but statistically speaking the risk involved in schools being closed is higher That's right. than schools being open. And just to reassure teachers by the way so what's happened today is by the, because of all this concerns about teachers it, it is safe to go into a school as a teacher there's no higher risk of infection or a higher risk of severe disease if you're a teacher versus if you're another type of occupation that's yes. really good. So the main reason to vaccinate them is to stop transmission really mm-hmm. you know, I can, that's a good, there's a good case for that you see but teachers shouldn't be worried that they're going to get severe disease because there's, there's no evidence for that you know. Luke O'Neill, thank you so much for giving us your lunch break. Thanks for and the cake. Thank, you're welcome. And thanks for the Anderson <laughs> test. And I'll call you back in. in uh, God, maybe the next time I see you, if we're doing these every month or two months, I'll be vaccinated. Yes. Well, I'm, you certainly should be. Wouldn't that, I'm, I'm last. I've decided, you know, I should go last, shouldn't I? No, <laughs> like the guy on the ship. <laughs> yeah, I'm the captain. You're the captain. I'm the captain you of the Titanic to. here. I you am know. the captain now. I'm prepared to. You wait. have to do it on Clareburn Life. It's like God, the pinnacle of your career. That, now. That's what I'm looking forward to. The whole reason I'm doing this is to get vaccinated. On the minute Life. you get called for your vaccination, you need to ring RTE and be like, I've been called for my vaccination. Do you want to send a camera? <laughs> And they would take you. Hang on a minute. That. You know, people are sick to death of me. No, that would be far you. too much. Oh, there he is now with, his, with his vaccine on, on the, getting filled by RTE. That's tremendous. I want to see <laughs> you and Tony Hoolan. <laughs> yes, Where, exactly. I, am, yeah. I miss Tony Hoolan. I miss him as well. I mean, he's yeah, grieving. I'd say, I'd say he'll be back soon. Yeah, Hopefully. I hope he will. Yeah. Um, Luke, thank you so much. I'll talk to you forever. That was this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And I have a surprise for you. For those of you who are Headstuff podcast members who subscribe to my podcast, we have a new BOMA thing going on for the bonus material. Every month, I'm going to do a Zoom hangout with the people who subscribe to the podcast. We've already done one and it was class. I got to hang out. I think maybe 12 or 15 people joined in. They introduced themselves. We had a chat. It turned out basically everyone knows everyone in Ballybunion. And uh, it was just so lovely. So if you're a Headstuff member you will get an email inviting you to the hangout and then just come and we will chat and you can ask me questions or tell me stories and it's just so brilliant. Thank you to everyone who supports the podcast. If you want to also sign up, you can go to headstuffpodcast.com. Our production today was thanks to Alan Bennett as ever. Our music is by Only Ruin and our graphic design is by Cahal O'Gara. I'm really looking forward to seeing you next week. 
This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.